Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week is a big one. We're talking to drummer Fergal Lawler of, if you think about it, maybe one of the biggest bands of the 90s, The Cranberries. For a while there, it didn't get much bigger, especially after those first couple of albums. And uh, Zombie and Linger and Dreams and Ode to My Family and stuff like that. Well, what happened recently was that last week, they put out a new three-disc deluxe version of their third album, To the Faithful Departed. That's the one that included Free to Decide, Salvation, and other songs like that. This deluxe version is really cool. It's three discs, and it's got the a remastering of the first of that album. And then there's another disc of outtakes and B-sides and another disc of a live concert. So Fergal joins us to talk about kind of where the guys, where the band was at that time. Uh, Departed was big, but not as big as the previous album, No Need to Argue, which featured Zombie, which was just gigantic, of course. As we all know, unfortunately, Dolores passed away a few years ago and had struggled with mental health for a while. We talk about that a little bit in here. Uh, understandably, Fergal didn't want to get into it too deep. It's not his place to talk about it. Plus, it's sensitive and it's personal to them, which I absolutely respect. So we learn a few things, but not, you know, we don't get too deep or dirty into any of it. Um, he's a really super sweet guy and was probably just as shocked as anyone else that the band got as huge as they did. He started out as a break dancer, if you can believe that, <laughs> on the streets of Ireland. So we talk about that. We talk about his uh, scoring. He's He's been going, getting into film scoring uh, lately, which is a huge new thing for him. And I don't know if you know this, but they released the last Cranberries album a couple years ago called In The End, which is actually maybe their best album, if you ask me. It's, song, it's the last songs that Dolores was working on before she died, and the band, the rest of the guys, finished it up for them. So anyway, there's a lot to talk about here. He was a super sweet, humble, unassuming guy. Um, I hope you like this. He called me from his home. Where else? Limerick, Ireland. So there's a lot of good things and a lot of sad things to talk about in the Cranberry story, but let's start with this album in particular. What What is your... What is your dominant memory of making this album? Because it's a slight, not in terms of sound so much, but in terms of uh, political content, it's a slight, I don't know, transition or expansion of what the Cranberries were doing at that time. Yeah. With, with The Faithful Departed, we had been on tour for about two years, I'd say. Um, with uh, <laughs> I got to say real quick, Fergal, I was reading about, to get ready to talk to you about the length of some of your tours uh, you know 122 yeah. dates in 16 months or whatever it is and i just thought man the 90s no one does stuff like that anymore you know, <laughs> know. nobody and we were young you know we were yeah. early 20s so it's like yeah yeah bring it on you yeah, know we'll yeah. do it all Big sorry adventure. to interrupt i just had no to no no it's fine um so yeah we, we had been on tour a lot and I suppose the fame thing was getting big, especially for Dolores, not so much the rest of us. We could kind of head out and do our own thing, you know, but um, so she found herself kind of locked in hotel rooms watching CNN a lot, you know, and then started saying, oh, God, you know, you start getting a very negative picture of the world because you're watching news all the time and news is rarely uh, a joyous, happy story. Yes. Like, there's, you know, there's always something. Oh, this really 
that incident happened here or whatever. And, and then she, I think she started sucking all that in, you know, and then it obviously had a, an effect on her writing. And then she started to kind of think more about the, the political side of things and the, not so much the political side of things, I suppose, but, but, the, but the, the cruelty of the world maybe. And it started yeah. to get to her. I wonder what she would, what her take on the current state of the world would be. Cause it feels <laughs> like it's worse. Know, at least yeah. in America, I can only speak for America. It feels like it's gotten worse the last, what are we up to now? Seven years, eight years, you yeah. know? Yeah. But it, it's everywhere. It, it's the whole rise and fall thing. It's the waves, you know, it, it, it's, it's insane and things are crazy. And then it kind of calms down again and then it's back up again. You know? Yeah. That's just yeah. the way of the world. Gotta, gotta ride the, 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 the storm. Yeah. Tell me about Salvation in particular, because that was, if I remember correctly, the first single. I remember when that came out. Yeah. That was kind of a big deal. Yeah. sort of an anti-drug statement um mm. was that was i mean you don't have to answer this if you don't want to was the band clean rock bands are rarely clean and to yeah. you know what i mean and so to put out a, like a drug song what's that yeah, <laughs> you mean, well, yeah. We're irish and you know we always were into our few drinks or whatever but sure. yeah we never really got the, the hard drugs we always kind of were scared of that because i think we've th seen too many people go down that road and yeah. You know, we were all big Nirvana fans and we saw what heroin had done to, to Kurt Cobain, you know, and, and it was yeah. kind of like, oh, geez, you know, we can still party and have a good time without going extreme, yeah. like. Um, But I think, yeah, being on tour, she ended up meeting people who worked in the industry and they'd be off their heads on coke or whatever, going, yeah, yeah. it's really amazing. Yes. You know what I mean? So I think that's where that was coming from. Um, yeah. But yeah, we those songs were written on tour, so that's ah. I think why you have that that live. You know, we used to practice mm -hmm. them at soundcheck. We do our soundcheck and then say, okay, we have half an hour. Let's run through some of those new ideas. Mm -hmm. So we just kind of turn off the front house and just have have our monitors on stage and play along. So it was like being in a little rehearsal room, yeah, <laughs> yeah, stage. You know? And uh, yeah, so that's where I think a good few of those songs were written in, in that way. Let me, I, um, probably my favorite song in the album is, uh, For Forever Yellow Skies.
And one of the reasons, yeah, and getting ready to talk to talk to you and going back and listening to it, I've got you on my brain, so I'm paying more attention to the drumming. And (laughs) that song feels like it was born out of a jam, possibly. And the last couple of minutes or so, there's bongos or congas or something happening in the background. A load of different things going on. Yeah, a load of uh, rhythms and. But you're the MVP uh, of that. So that's what I realized is that <laughs> I like this song because of the driving drums that are happening. Was it, am I am I right? Was that born out of some kind of jam, or did it come it from some other way? That we were doing, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, just like like I said, uh, after sound check one day, and we just kept jamming around, and then this song came out of it. Then yeah, it's so good. Um, what was the so Stephen Street was on here last year, and we talked about his whole career, but we talked about you guys too. What was the thinking in moving away from Stephen at this point? That was more kind of Dolores' idea. She wanted to do something different after the first two albums. And we'd kind of thrown a few different ideas around. And, and um, she was a real big fan of those Aerosmith. We all were, actually, because we used to watch MTV a lot when we were on tour. And, and you know, that... Well, in the nineties, the Aerosmith had the, had that kind of resurgence with um, "Living on the Edge" and uh, "Crying" mm-hmm. and "Crazy" and all those songs. Mm-hmm. And she was like, "Choose that. That's great. Like you know, I'd like to maybe try something like that because it's more rocky. It's more live. It's yeah. And I, th- I think because we had been on tour a lot and we're used to that live sound, and most of the songs for this album were created in that live environment. I think we wanted something different like that as well. So we kind of said, okay, look, we give it a go and see how we get on. And yeah, that's it worked out. It was fair. Uh, so Tim Palmer has been on here too. I loved him. And my understanding yeah. is that when you went to Paris to make, start making some songs with him, it was good, but it felt too much like working with Steven. It wasn't that exactly. different. Yeah. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> exactly. Tim was a lovely guy, but it was just, you know, we all kind of felt, well, this is kind of, similar to Stephen, but, but not the same. And we want to kind of break away and do something completely yeah. different. So. You sure did. I mean, working with, uh, I don't, he's not strictly a hair metal guy, but he is kind of an eighties, nineties rock. I <laughs> wondered, Burgle, if the success of zombie now, Stephen street and I, when we talked about that, so he was like, you know, it kind of shocked all of us. The song was not meant yeah. to be, the anthem it's almost at a billion streams on uh on spotify he it was no it was nothing special it was nothing that anyone thought was going to be the first single or anything like that it just was a song i wonder if the fact that zombie was so successful and it was harder and rockier if that's what influenced the decision to go further down that road on this album no no really no Okay, I think so. No, it's just um, a, a natural kind of evolution. I think the fact that, that, that most of these songs were created in that live environment, I think, is okay. why it sounds a bit heavier. And we have been touring a lot. And, you know, when you play live, the adrenaline is up and yeah. you're hitting hard, playing harder, you're singing louder. And I think that's where it came from. Okay, it's that's interesting. Yeah, because that first album is not super hard. It's more kind of dream pop, almost not a far cry from something like maybe what the Cocteau Twins might have done, you know, at certain points. 
and yeah. then it just keeps getting kind of punkier and rougher as it goes. I don't I don't know that much about your history. Well, I know a little bit, but before the band, were you punks in Ireland? Was that is no. that closer to what no. you're about? No. It was our first band for, for all of us. We'd never been in a band before. Yeah. Myself, Noel, and Mike were break dancers back in the day. That's how we met. <laughs> break dancers, we really? Like 14 or 15. So we were into hip hop. <laughs> so we listened to all of that. And, and then I, I suppose once we got out of that, we started getting into bands like The Cure, The Smiths, Joy Division. You know, so there was that. Yeah. That's funky, though. Did you, were you like carrying around a slab of cardboard around the streets of Limerick yeah. so you could lay it down yeah. and just yeah. break yeah. dance, whatever? You know, Lino, you know, you, you used to spray it with the uh, with the uh, floor cleaner and polish it up so it's really slippy. Really, I had <laughs> yeah. no idea. Oh my god! Yeah, right. I was when I was getting ready to talk to you. I read about how you guys were a band of dudes, and the lead singer, whose name I'm blanking on, anyway, decided to oh, leave. I'll... That's it, Niall. Yeah, decided to leave, and you guys thought, let's let's hire a girl. Let's let's see what we sound like with a girl, and that that decision changed not only your lives, but it changed the course of like musical history. You could have yes. nothing against you guys, but I mean, you could have picked another guy and been a really solid band. But the fact that you had you had the wherewithal to spot a sort of iconic female presence for your band changed everything. Yeah, it's just meant to be one of those yeah. things. Yeah. That's the guy wow. that left Nile, um, his girlfriend was in school with Lors, and that's how that's how we met. Okay. Yeah, that's crazy. It could have so mm. easily not happened. You know what I mean? <laughs> just oh yeah. Just, you did the right thing at the right time. So <laughs> let me ask you this. What was your what were your feelings about the reception of the departed album? Because the one before, No Need to Argue, had been so huge. And this album did yeah. well, but it was a little bit of a step down. I mean, no one maintains the peaks forever. Nobody does. But was that difficult to take at the time? Yeah, I think, I think yeah, we were a little bit surprised. Um, and our A&R man had passed away um, when we were in tour for No Need to Argue. I mean, really got on well with him. So we were Eddie kind Cordell. of... Right, we should say. Yeah, Denny, kind of a famous he was such a gentleman, like amazing, and he really understood us, and we had a great connection. So when he passed away, we were kind of at a loss trying to find people to work with, and there were uh, Ireland were, were, were kind of su suggesting people, and and then we'd meet someone, and then th they'd be gone. You know, th yeah. they had moved up, and then you'd meet someone else and work with them for a few months, and then they're gone. You know, so it was a bit strange like that. So we didn't we didn't have that connection like we had with Denny. So that yeah. was, yeah, that could have been played a part in it as well. Is there ever, I mean, I thought Salvation was a great first single. Was there, was anyone, did anyone retroactively say that was the wrong move or you guys should have done no. something different or, okay. No. Yeah, I agree. Okay. It was, it, there was a bit of that with Zombie when we were, when we wanted to release Zombie, they were going, oh no, it's too, it's too controversial. You can't, you can't release that. that, that that's not a good idea. Uh-huh. But. You know, we had played it live before we even recorded it, oh. and we'd seen a reaction of of the audience and said, "Look, th this is a song people haven't heard before, and they're jumping around the place loving it. So, it, it needs to be a single." Like, yeah, yeah, you called that. I wanted to ask you. So, the the new three disc 
kind of bonus or you know reissue deluxe reissue of the yeah. album yeah. there's a moment on there um oh yeah first of all the rebels there's a i really love the version of the rebels that's on there Number one, it's sort of surreal and otherworldly to hear Dolores say, really cool, man, in the in the song, you know, to get a little bit of, to hear some like studio actual just talking from her yeah. being gone is amazing. The other thing is, <laughs> this might be too musical, too nerdy for you. I don't know. It sounds like, so do you remember the song, um, remember Howard Jones? Yeah. Okay, so Howard Jones had the song No One Is To Blame. It was uh, a big hit over here. It was produced by Phil Collins. And at the beginning, it oh, sounds no. a little bit like it's being plunked on bottles or something like that. Like this. Yeah. Or like a music box. Anyway, uh, mm. sort of childlike. You know, I, don't, I don't know how else to describe it. And I hear that going on in The Rebels, at least a little bit at first. Okay. Am I crazy? Do you know what I'm Jesus, talking about? I've thought, I'll have a listen to both songs later and see. <laughs> but I, I do know the Howard Jones song. I didn't know it was produced by Phil Collins. Yes. The version on the album was not. But then they re, <laughs> he redid it and produ Phil produced it. And it became the big single that it was. Okay. And there's this well, little plinking heard. sound kind of percussion. Sound, sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Anyway, I don't know. <laughs> I just, <laughs> when I heard that song, when I heard that version of that song, it was so... That's what came to mind, and hearing Dolores' voice was yeah. so cool. Tell it's, me about two. Wrote about, oh, go about it, best friend when the two of them used to be teenagers, you know, just uh -huh. hanging out and just so sweet. It's a lovely song. It is a lovely song. So after this album comes out and it's not quite the same, does your life change very much? Do you just carry on no. and think, well, we'll get them next no. time? Yeah, exactly. I mean, okay. We, we're kind of never the kind of we never thought about the hits and you know it has to be number one or anything you know that was more yeah. of a, a pop mentality and we kind of didn't really care about that you know and we just wanted to make music and then go out on tour and that's what yeah. we did we went to tour then after that again and 
Okay. So let's talk for a second about Dolores being gone. I am curious. A few years ago, in fact, back at the beginning, I had Christopher Thorne on here, who was the guitarist for Blind Melon. Yeah. And we were talking about when the face of your band, that ev- the, I mean, no offense to the rest of you, but she's the... No, of like course. You were saying yeah, earlier, yeah. you can walk down the street probably and yeah. maybe not get yeah. recognized. When the person that everyone associates your band with it got, is gone suddenly... What do you then decide to do with the rest of your life? You know, it all changes in a moment like that. Now, you guys made the decision to just disband the cranberries and not do it anymore. I'm curious when, if you don't mind sensitively talking about it, were you? did your band manager bring you into a boardroom and say, guys, we need to figure out what we're going to do? Did you guys call each other and just say, this is obvious, we're not doing this? What are those first few days or weeks or whatever like? Well, we kind of didn't think about anything like that for the first. Yeah. Okay. Few days, you know, it was yeah. maybe about a month or so afterwards. And we were kind of still reeling from the shock, but yeah, we all sat down in a room and kind of said, "Look, I mean, we're not going to do like a queen thing of you know try and find another singer and you know go out go out on tour. It just wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't wouldn't be enjoyable." We yeah. just feel a bit fake, like like a cover band or something. So, yeah, we just kind of okay. didn't want to do that. Like, I think it would it would have well, obviously first of all it would be disrespectful to, to Dolores, her memory and her family. So I wouldn't be into that. And then, right. personally, I just thought it would be tacky to do something like that. There were suggestions thrown around from industry people. We were kind of like, hmm, I don't know, you know, I just yeah. right. Do you, you know, so, you, the feeling you get in your gut, it's like, is this a good idea or not? And it's like, no, it's not. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I certainly think that's the right call. Um, now since the end of the band, is there any concern on your part? Like, well, what now, what do I do now? I know you've gotten into soundtracks. In fact, your album, all hope is never lost. Yeah. It's really beautiful. I mean, it's, Thank- it's very cerebral. It's it's yeah, sort of different background like. music that could be in the foreground as well. But are, are these songs that go to a TV show or a movie or something like that? Or that was the idea, yeah. Okay. To kind of like have a like a show reel uh-huh. for directors or producers or whatever. And I actually ended up 
getting a, an email recently from um, two guys in New York that they, they, they work in a do documentaries, and they said that they heard the album and they'd love to maybe do something with that. Really? So we're working on something there. That's great. I've heard yeah. from several people who have been on the show that this is a really hard area of the business to break into. Mm. Um, in fact, Dave Roundtree from Blur was on here earlier yeah. this year. And similar situation. I mean, the band comes and goes and yeah. uh, he's you know, financially comfortable, as I'm sure you probably are too. And he wants to break into that part of the business. And so he does get these sort of smaller... And he's just one example. I've had probably a dozen of these, but it it sounds like it's kind of tough to break through. Oh yeah, it is. It's a very competitive side of the industry. You know, um, it's something I've always wanted to do, and I've never had time. So then, I was it twenty twelve, thirteen, or something like that. We took a break for a while after touring, and I went back to university, uh-huh. did a master music technology, and kind of that opened up a whole, whole other world and kind of said, okay, this will help me get into yeah. that. And then I ended up meeting some people who were doing the short films and little documentaries and that. And I started, you know, working with them and, and just getting some experience of how to do it. It's, it's a whole different ball game to being in a band or touring or anything like that, but, but I enjoy it and it's a challenge and I have a studio, kind of a small studio besides, beside my house here. So I don't have to travel. It's perfect. Okay. What about you personally? I mean, are you married? Do you have kids? Do you, are you a dad? Okay. Three kids. Yeah. The youngest just turned 18. The youngest just turned 18. Yeah. Nice. Nice. I got three kids too. And the older two are in that teenage stage. It's a lot of work, man. A lot of, it's it's actually more work when they're teenagers than when they're babies. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. When they're babies, they take naps. No one tells you that. (laughs) No. Every night of my life, I'm my wife and I are trading off, shuttling them to the various, uh, yeah. you know, they've they've all got jobs, they all play sports, they've all got friends activities or church activities. Every night, each gone. one of them has like two different things, and so you, we're yeah. just constantly shuttling them back and forth. Oh, can you take yeah. this one to this? Because then I can pick up yeah. this one from that and drop them off here. If you can pick them up, and this person's parent is going to bring them <laughs> home, and that's it every day of Job our lives. Life. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, okay. Um, I wanted to ask you about some of the songs, some Cranberry songs that I like. And I, I wondered if you could tell me the story of Pretty. Because I feel like that's one of the, that's one of the stands out from the standouts from that first album. There are many. Yeah.
but um, it's kind of such an odd song, and it's short. It's almost short enough, and it's kind of in the middle, so it feels like this odd intermission, or uh, I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's it's just sort of this odd midway point. Tell me about the creation of Pretty. Um, that was one of the first songs we recorded for the album. I think. I think a lot of those songs in the first album we used to rehearse in a place called Zarek Studios. It was in Limerick. Mm-hmm. It was like a band rehearsal space and there was a small studio there as well. And um, we used to go up on a, it was a Sunday afternoon, Tuesday night. And I think then we started making it Tuesday and Thursday and Sunday. And then we kind of started adding days in. But yeah, there was about three or four different rooms. So depending on who was there, you know, if whatever room was free, we'd be in one of those rooms. Mm-hmm. And that's where most of those songs came together. You I mean, either Dolores or Noel would arrive in with some chords and start strumming. And then we'd kind of just listen for a few minutes and start adding little bits. And then off we'd go on a little adventure. It was lovely. It was a really nice time. Were you involved much in the um, songwriting? I mean, what's how, what's the band's, what's the breakdown? I know she wrote, most yeah. of them probably the lyrics and stuff like that, but oh, tell me about it. That's yeah, what I thought. Like, yeah. Um, so, yeah, well, that, that's basically what would happen. If Noel had some chords, he'd come in and start playing the chords, and we'd have a listen and start jamming around, and then something would come from that. And then Dolores would take a tape of it home and start getting ideas for vocal melodies and lyrics, and she'd come back the following, whatever, the next day we were rehearsing. And she oh, an idea for that. And then we'd start playing again. And then she'd start singing over the top and maybe play some keyboards if, mm-hmm. if the song needed it or whatever. Isn't and that... if Noel came in or if Dolores ha- had an idea, she'd usually have be humming as well. So she'd play the chords and kind of be humming, but wouldn't have the words finished. Mm-hmm. You know, she might have a word or two and she'd kind of start humming and then playing. And then we'd start jamming and then it would, yeah, become yeah, another thing. <laughs> That's wild. That's wild. I wanted to ask you, too, about the last album in the end. Uh, that, that's up. That's maybe my first or second favorite Cranberries album. It's so good. I love All Over Now, especially just out of the gate. How finished were any of those songs by before, when she died? They were 
kind of bare bones, you know, like she had either guitar or piano and her vocal pretty much. And that's what we had to work from. Okay. So we kind of, you know, it was so, so hard um, to do it. You kind of had to almost disassociate, disassociate yourself from the, the grief, you know, yeah. and just pretend yeah. she was in the other room playing and we we're in here working on the song, you know, and yeah. I think it was at the end of each night is then when it really hit, you know, because always when, when we'd record, we do our bits during the day and then Dolores would go away and she'd take, take a break for one and she'd come back in the evening time to do her vocal parts. Mm-hmm. So when we were walking out, she'd normally be coming in or she'd come in and then we'd say, okay, see you later. And we'd head off and let her work with Steve and her vocal bits. Mm-hmm. But that was when it really hit every single night. It was like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. You know, kind of go through it again. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's such a great um, um, tribute to her, you know, that this album, though, it's so strong. And it had been a while since there had been, you know, another Cranberries album. And now there's this as like a parting gift. Here, here's yeah. one last thing to remember everybody by. And Street was involved in this one, right? Did oh, you yeah. do this one yeah. with you? I had to. Definitely. Yeah. No one else could have done it. It had to be Stephen. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he understands the band more than anyone else. And we always work so well with Steve. You know, I connect so well with him. And he's an amazing producer and just a great engineer as well on top of it. And he just really gets the band, you know, and yeah. gets the space, I think. You know that surrounds. You know, he he always kind of said that thing. It's like you know, a good song is like if you have a glass of water and you keep putting stuff into it, the water's going to spill out. But if you just balance it right, you know, and, and not overfill it mm-hmm. and let let it breathe, you know, yeah, because you have the space for the instruments and Dolores' voice and everything, and it's all perfect. It worked out great. I'm glad we did it then as hard as it was, if we had waited like maybe a year or two, I don't know if we'd been able to go back and do it. It would have been different. You know, yeah. I think part emotions, because Steve had said that, he said, I know it's going to be hard, but you should do it now while you're full of all this grief and emotion. Yeah. You know, and I think it was a good call. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, how long after she was gone did you guys go in the studio to do this? It was about four or five months i'd say really wow yeah yeah wow um you know i feel bad saying this but her life had her her emotional life had seemed quite chaotic for a while um would did anyone see this coming i mean i know it wasn't it wasn't a suicide it was she had died of she drowned of Alcohol poisoning while in a bath or a bathtub or something, right? Uh, I don't think it was alcohol poisoning. Oh, that's I, what I, I was reading. Okay. Be honest. I mean, there's there's loads of different stories, but I don't yeah. really want to get into all okay. details. Of any, yes, you know. I don't blame you. But yeah, there had been with some struggles with her mental dead. health. Yes. Yeah. Um, was that a... When it started, when the band started, was that a symptom? Was that part of it too? Um, like she's a little fragile emotionally or did that become worse as the band got bigger and pressures got stronger? Yeah, I think it became more apparent as uh, as the band got bigger and the whole fame thing didn't help, you know? Yeah, yeah, I bet. 
Um, and then when she moved to Canada, did anyone else move to Canada or did you guys stay in no. Ireland? No, no, okay. we all stayed in Ireland. But she had a place in Ireland as well, so she'd kind of come over okay. and back. Okay, okay. Um, let's talk about the fun times. What are, I mean, you're, you go from being this scrappy little band in Limerick, Ireland to being one of the largest bands in the world. Um, mm. You had to have met heroes and played shows in front of more people than you could even imagine. What's, what are some of the first like big memories where you're like, I cannot believe this is happening to me right now. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, when we were doing that, the first American tour we did and, um, we were like staying in shitty motels or whatever, uh-huh. myself and Mike uh-huh. their room and be watching MTV or whatever. And it's like, Oh my God, linger. Oh my God. And we were ringing, ringing up the lads going like, we're on TV. We're on TV. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah. And then getting to see, I mean, Duran Duran, that was surreal <laughs> doing that tour. Um, because you know, we grew up in the eighties and I, I remember Mike was, Duran Duran fan. I was like, Duran Duran. Uh-huh. There they are walking past us. Like, <laughs> go and watch them every night. And then we got to play with Sway. They were a great band. Uh, they were really cool. Yeah. Guitar player, Carter at the time, really got on well with him. And he came on our bus, traveled with us for a while because he was kind of fighting with the rest of them. And mm-hmm. that was amazing. And we did, um, oh, at the end of that tour, we did the um, K Rock Acoustic Christmas in, Ooh, in LA. Yeah. So there was like, it was amazing. It was Billy Idol, um, <laughs> Jane's Addiction, well, Porn for Pyros at the time. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, so getting to see all these bands, it was just, it was complete and utter pinch me moment. Like, And I mean, let's just be honest here. You outsold many of those people. Uh, I mean, <laughs> isn't that sort of crazy? I mean, you guys have yeah. sold like 60 million <laughs> records or something like that. It's hard to believe. Sometimes it feels like it's someone else, you know, when you're, you're right. on the outside. Like, oh, God, I am in that band. You know, right. weird. I know. My kids find bizarre as well, you know. Yeah. They see you on, on TV or on YouTube or something, and they're like, oh, man. Yeah. yeah. And you <laughs> had yeah, long, thick good. hair back then. We built. We both oh, did. Virgo, you know what I mean? <laughs> if I could stick it back on. Uh-huh. <laughs> I remember the first time I ever heard the Cranberries. So in the early 90s, I grew up Mormon. And you know those Mormon missionaries that are out there? You've probably seen them. So I was on my Mormon mission in Michigan. All my friends went to really far off exotic places, and I got called to Michigan. Michigan. Kind of a bummer. I know. So I'm in Kalamazoo, Michigan on a Monday doing my laundry at a laundromat. And missionaries are not allowed to go to the movies, listen to music, read books, nothing secular at all. You can't go on dates, none of those kinds of things. But this laundromat had a TV in it, a big screen TV that would play MTV. And so we would, we'd go in there to do our laundry, but we, we weren't technically supposed to be paying attention to what was on the TV, but we did anyway, because why not? And uh, my brother, who's younger than me, had sent me letters because this would ni- this was 1993 94 and um telling me what bands he was into i've always been a big music fan and he mentioned in a couple of his, le- of his letters the cranberries and i thought that was kind of an odd name and i'd never heard of them mm. and i remember so well doing my laundry in this laundromat and the video for linger comes on and uh 
I'm like, oh, those are the guys that are, that's the band that everyone keeps talking about. I keep hearing about these bands, about this band. So anyway, that was my first experience with the Cranberries was in a laundromat in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Thought you might. You played big in Kalamazoo, Michigan, I think, actually. I remember that name. I I bet you did. (laughs) Um, Speaking of where you played, I'm originally from Salt Lake City, Utah. Did you ever play in Salt Lake City? We did, yeah, on that tour. And I remember, I remember distinctly, actually, because during Linger, there was people stage diving, oh. whatever, crop surfing. Oh. I was like, okay, guys, you mustn't get many, many bands here because <laughs> they were going ape shit. And it was like, okay, we're going to play some heavier stuff later if you want to camp for a while. <laughs> they were loving it. We couldn't believe it. <laughs> that is okay. So you nailed it because, as you know, uh, it's better now, but not a lot of bands came through Utah back then. And so yeah. we took what we could get. And yes, everyone's just pent up wanting to crowd surf to something. And the cranberries yeah. are here. We'll do it to the cranberries, you know? <laughs> Dreams <laughs> is playing and people are like, you know, crowd surfing everywhere because what else are they going to do? Um, okay, cool. Tell me about, um, hold on, let me look at my. Oh, tell me about how you got Storm to do your album covers. You break away from the everyone in a room, and then, uh, I mean, these are like especially Bury the Hatchet, or that's the one with the big red balls, right? Or is that uh, yeah. no Bury the no, Hatchet copy. is the naked guy in the front? Yes, sorry, the, the I one switched them around in my brain. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a legend. You know this. He probably isn't doesn't work cheap either. How did you come to go with Storm? It was through um, a guy that Noel connected with at Ireland at the time. I think he suggested he knew Storm well. I had worked with him, and he he said, "What well, you know? Why don't you meet him and have a chat?" So we met. We all met Storm, and just thought he was great. He was just so eccentric and fantastic. Dolores uh-huh. loved him. So we were like, oh, yeah, cool. And kind of, I've been a bit, big Pink Floyd fan. Mike was a big Pink Floyd fan when we were younger and didn't connect that he was the same guy for ages. Oh, oh. You know, and then after meeting him a few times, we're going, oh, that was you. You know, <laughs> we kind of clicked it then, you know. But yeah, such a nice guy, an absolute gentleman and a genius. Yeah, yeah, he is. Um, I wondered about how you would get someone like that to work for you what does cram the cranberry saw us that was your original name what does that even mean that was the guy nile who had been the original singer in the band he was in a different band called the hitchers and he wanted to do something as a side project so he said look i got some songs and he lives close by to to nola mike okay um we knew him from being in the other band and, and, and said look we have a band with no singer if you want to do something together so we did that and he, he they were kind of kind of funny songs you know humorous and you know it, it was a grand experience for a while to, to, to get to play a few gigs but i don't think any of us were really into that kind of that humorous music and then that's the cranberry sauce it's like sauce but s-a-w-u-s oh okay like you know those kind of <laughs> kind of funny not funny things yes. you know well you don't want to go the rest of your career having to explain what that is i guess if you say it it sounds it makes more sense but if you read it i'm like what does cranberry saw us mean okay okay 
when Dolores joined them and just shot into the cranberries, I was like, okay, that's that's much better. Uh huh. Okay. Um, I'm sort of stuck on this idea of you being a break dancer. Tell, like, what music were you into? What was turning you on to hip hop and everything back then? Run DMC, um, yeah. Grandmaster Flash and Furious Five, the originals. Yeah. 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 And then I suppose it would have been Beastie Boys were coming out around that time. License to Ill, wasn't it? That, that uh, was the first album. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah. God, I'm trying to remember the names. Mantronics seems to ring a bell. Oh, uh, yeah. DJ Crush, Groove, or. Yeah. Curtis Blow. That's another Curtis one. I'm Blow, to the breaks. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Did you have a name? Like a, like a, Hip hop oh, name? No, no, no. 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 no you no, were no. just Fergal Lawler and the, the breakdown. The group we're we're in were the Cosmic Rockers. That was the <laughs> the, the, the breakdance group, and then the Shock Rock. With another group, we kind of ended up joining up with them at the end. Did you still do it? Oh Jesus, no! No, a long time. <laughs> I'm 52 now. Like, uh -huh. <laughs> do some serious damage. I've even tried. Yes, yes. Oh, that's genius. Um, tell me, you had to... Okay, does YouTube mean anything? Obviously, there's the Ireland connection, but I don't know if okay. most bands growing up in in Ireland see U2 as like the pinnacle or yeah. much like, I don't know, the Beatles would be in the UK or something like that. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm guessing you met them at some point or interacted yeah. with them. What, what was the first time and what were the circumstances? Um, the first time I met them was actually at the MTV Awards in 1994 or five or something like that. Um, and we met them afterwards. It was in Paris with that, that one. It might have been in Paris, I think, yeah. And yeah, they were great, so nice. Um, chatting away to them and just really relaxed and lovely. And met them a few times afterwards, had dinner with them and just lovely guys, like really amazing. And oh. It was one of the first, I, I think, you know, because myself, Noel and Mike were friends since we were like 14. So when we were around 16, 17, we went to see them play and it was our first kind of big concert. They played in Cork. So we got the train down from Limerick and went to see them in Cork and it was just an experience. It was amazing to see a big stadium gig like that. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, did Bono ever like take you aside and say, look, don't don't even think about coming for my crown or what? You know, <laughs> I love Bono. I could just see him being like, uh, you know, good for you, but don't get too comfortable because no one is taking over the throne of you two. You know what I mean? Where are you located now? Where do you live now? Oh, it's still the same place in, in, in our end County Clare. Okay. Just outside. Limerick, Limerick. Right. Like yeah. That's 10, what I thought. Minutes. Okay. Um, when you did come over and tour the States, Maybe especially at the beginning when you were still sort of scrappy and younger, did you have a favorite place to play? Um, were there no, like really. college towns or whatever that were better for you than others? No, they were all good. Okay. Everywhere was great. It was, okay. It was just a big adventure. We loved playing everywhere. And we, we kind of played a lot of clubs at that first tour, and it was hot and sweaty, and it was amazing. Yeah, it was great uh -huh. fun. Really what, about, what about food? I mean, I keep the reason I'm I'm asking this is because I've spoken. I I love 
anything from the UK. I'm I'm lumping Ireland into that from like the 80s and 90s, and uh, and every t- whenever you talk to somebody who toured there here, it's always just it's so vast, it's so big. I had no idea. You mm. know, we can get to the another big city in in England within an hour or two. And here, especially in the Western United States where I am, they're like seven or eight hours apart from each other. You yeah. know? And uh, everyone talks about just how the big vastness of it all. And I and about the food and all the, you know, the truck stops with giant 44-ounce oh, yeah. big gulps and stuff like that. So what was <laughs> your, when you come to the States and you're touring, like, I can't believe they have this here. I can't believe I can eat as much of this as I want or whatever. What are those things that get you excited at first? Oh, Chips Ahoy. We used to love the Chips Ahoy on the bus. <laughs> yeah, cup of tea and Chips Ahoy. We used to go mad for them. And Oreo cookies, because we didn't have Oreos over here uh-huh. back then. Uh, so, yeah, Chips Ahoy and Oreos were the, were the big ones. Doritos. We used to get the whole Dorito thing with uh, we put cheese in it and then stick it in the microwave to kind of toast it up a little bit and then uh-huh. have our nachos. Doritos and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've never. I make nachos a lot. I've never made them with Doritos because Doritos already has like the nacho flavor on it or whatever. So okay. I haven't. I uh, that would. I will have to try that sometimes. It's so funny you mentioned uh, Chips Ahoy. I don't know why. So Dave Wakeling from the English Beat's been on here, and I've gotten to know him a little bit. And he last time he came through Denver, he invited me to come hang out on his bus. And I remember getting on his bus. And as soon as I opened the door, the bus driver's seat had a couple of bags or a couple of things of Chips Ahoy on it. Okay. And uh, that was my first, that's the first time I've hung out on someone's bus. And I just thought, <laughs> wow, what, what Chips Ahoy. I mean, you could do better than that. There are better yeah. cookies than Chips Ahoy. But I guess it's good and exotic to somebody who doesn't know better. Yeah. yeah. Are you in Denver, John? I am in Denver, yeah. That's where I live. That was our first gig. That was our first gig in American soil. Really? Yeah, because we got off. We landed in Denver Airport, and we checked into the hotel. We were opening up for Dead Day. Yes. In the theater, is it? Which one? Is that the name of it? The Paramount Theater. Yes. Is that in Denver? Yes. Paramount. Yeah, that's where we yeah. played our first gig. Opening that's... up for Dead Day. Yeah. That is a... Wow, the Paramount. That's a really nice theater with like drapes and, uh, and everything yeah. i just there recently i saw tower of power there recently uh Is it still open? oh yeah wow. yeah yeah beautiful play yeah, i remember yeah that's pretty close to my house um wow <laughs> did you ever play red rocks we did yeah we did on the third album i think our second album yeah third album okay do you i mean red rocks is one of the greatest live <laughs> venues in the world. Do you remember who you played with? Or... Because of that famous U2 live at Red Rocks. You know, yeah. we had that that VHS cassette when we were kids, and it was like, oh my God, we're actually here. Uh-huh. It seems small. <laughs> it seemed right. a bit smaller, to be honest. It always looked bigger on TV. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Beautiful yeah. venue, though. But, who did you play with? Because of the altitude, I remember I had to get oxygen afterwards because I, I was looking at people outside the stage as paramedics there with oxygen i was kind of laughing on i won't need that and afterwards i was like oh god come here, come here. <laughs> <laughs> um that's funny you said you know who else uh 
I this just popped in my brain, and it just happens to be another Ireland connection. Um, Glenn Hansard from the Swells. Oh yeah, season. yeah, and Frames. Uh, he came. My wife and I went and saw Swell season. Him and Marquetta back when they were oh, yeah. you know super popular or whatever. And um, <laughs> it was kind of a running joke throughout the whole show. Boy, this it's no joke here. Man, how do you guys even breathe? I mean, everyone kind of comments on that, but I remember it being a much bigger deal with Glenn. Have you met Glenn? Do you know him? Met him a couple of times because the frames, um, Denny Cordell signed the frames to Ireland oh. shortly before he signed us. So we, we kind of meet each other around that time when we were getting to know Denny. Okay, okay. Yeah. I'm probably an idiot to just assume that every Ireland musician knows each other but so far i haven't been wrong what speaking of what what about shane mcgowan do you guys know the pogues we only met them once at we were doing top of the pops is like a, mm -hmm. a tv show in the uk legendary we met him there and johnny depp was playing with him that oh. time every really? single was out like bizarre I was like my god johnny depp oh my gosh oh my gosh well um thank you for chatting with me fergal i mean i I, your story is fascinating and great and heartbreaking and everything in between. Most of all, are you comfortable with where your career is and everything now? Yeah. I mean, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm happy. We, we had a great time. Legacy of the Cranberries is amazing. I have to pinch myself and kind of look back and go, geez, I can't believe that happened. You know, it's fantastic. You know, I'm happy to, to do what I'm doing now. Yeah. And, I mean, we try to sensitively cover the business side of things on here. You guys sold so many records. I'm guessing you're you're good. I mean, you can. There's a zombie itself probably provides enough mailbox money for you to live comfortably and pursue all the other musical things that you want to do. Fairly comfortably, yeah. Fairly comfortably. Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, all right. Well, thank you for chatting with me, Pergo. It means a lot. Thanks, John. Of course. That's great. All right, there you have it, Fergal Lawler. Such a sweet guy, such a humble guy. If you think about it, they were top 10 biggest bands of that decade. Probably the second biggest band to ever come out of that country behind you too. And uh, I, unfortunately, because of Dolores being gone, you forget about that sometimes because the band's not gonna carry on, understandably. But um, anyway, they were gigantic. They set the tone really for a lot of what the 90s were about. I want to close it out with In The End. This is the last song that Dolores ever sang. And uh, the band went back in, as I said, and finished off this album, and it's fantastic. So why? what else would we end this with? Thank you, Fergal. And again, To The Faithful Departed is out there now in a three-disc deluxe edition. It's really great. Next week, we're keeping it in the 90s. We're talking to a member of another one of the hugest bands of the 90s. And in fact, this, this next week's uh, episode is a twofer. So we're going to talk to him. And then we're also going to talk to the manager of one of the biggest bands that's out there currently. They've been around for a while, too. I thought it would be really fascinating to learn what it's like being a manager of a band that goes from nothing to stardom. If you have been paying attention, I've mentioned this person in this band over the last few months because we've gotten to know each other a little bit. But anyway, that's what's coming up next week and I think it's going to be really interesting. Huge thanks, as always, to Jan the Man Makevich, my right-hand man. Thank you, buddy, for all that you do. 
Uh, folks, you can like our page on Facebook. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. Um, the last of the deep di- uh, deep dives came out last week with Kenya Raven. Hope you check that out. I am working on three different uh, promo modes, which I'm thinking of putting them all out in one instead of three separate promo modes because they're all former guests who have brand new solo albums out. That may come out this weekend, probably more likely next weekend. Okay? Anyway, thanks everybody. We love you. Wasn't nothing that you wanted